You're listening to Sermon Audio from Jerusalem Church, an independent Reformed church in Mannheim, Pennsylvania. Our expository preaching ministry is devoted to proclaiming the law and the gospel for the glory of God and the salvation, growth, and comfort of Christ's church. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit us online at JerusalemChurch.net. Here's a message that we hope strengthens your faith and comforts your soul. Whenever someone tells you what they believe to be true, they're confessing a creed. Their beliefs, which influence their thoughts, feelings, words, and behavior. In one episode of the popular sitcom Young Sheldon, I don't watch the show, Sheldon is sitting with Pastor Jeff uh, on the top step of the front of the church during a, a Sunday service. And Pastor Jeff asks Sheldon in front of the congregation, so what do you think the odds are that God exists? And Sheldon gives his creed. He says, I think they're zero. I believe in science. Pastor Jeff asks, so you don't think science and religion can go hand in hand? Sheldon then expands his creed by explaining, science is facts, religion is faith. I prefer facts. Besides believing in Marxist and LGBTQIA plus ideologies, Black Lives Matter used to have a What We Believe page where they openly stated their commitment to, quote, disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure, end quote. Now, they've since taken that down, uh, the What We Believe page, but their creed continues to compel them to undermine the nuclear family, which is the building block of society. Others proudly put their creeds in their yards. You might have seen the little flag with the rainbow-colored lettering, which says, in this house, we believe black lives matter, women's rights are human rights, no human is illegal, science is real, love is love, kindness is everything. That sign says more than the words on the sign. Each of those short creedal statements is ideological, anthropological, political, economical, sociological, theological, and so forth. Folks, everyone has a creed because everyone believes in something. Creeds represent belief systems. Creeds summarize truth claims. For example, the creed, I don't believe in God, I believe in science, often summarizes belief systems like Darwinism, materialism, or atheism. Everyone has a creed, and their creed influences how they think, feel, speak, and act. A person's life tells you a lot about their true creed. How would you sum up the core truth claims of your worldview? What's your creed? I've titled this sermon series, The Gospel for Life. The comforting promises of the Apostles' Creed. And I'm going to preach through the Apostles' Creed. I'm going to preach the biblical truths stated and implied in the Apostles' Creed, which is a summary of the gospel. My aim is to preach the gospel for your greater knowledge and understanding of the gospel, but I want more. My aim is that through greater knowledge and understanding of the gospel, the Holy Spirit will transform you. 
Comfort you, assure you, and strengthen you with the gospel, the gospel for life. The subtitle is The Comforting Promises of the Apostles' Creed because implied in the Apostles' Creed are divine promises for your salvation, growth, and comfort. And I want you to know those promises. I want you to take hold of those promises. I want you to live by those promises and I want you to hope in those promises. The Apostles' Creed begins with the words, I believe. So I want to begin the series by asking, what does it mean to believe? And I think it's a relevant question because the word believe can be kind of tricky to understand. Additionally, if you confess that you believe in the gospel of the creed, you should know what it means to say, I believe. So let me summarize what it means to believe in the gospel. To truly believe in the gospel is to know the gospel, assent to the gospel, and trust in the gospel to the salvation, growth, and comfort of your soul. Know, assent, trust. That's an acronym. CAT, K-A-T. Know, assent, trust. And I want to further explain what it means to believe in the gospel. But before I do, I want to talk about belief in general. First, everyone believes in something. In other words, everyone believes some things are true and other things are false, and they live accordingly. When someone says, I believe in science, they are expressing their confidence in science. And they live accordingly. The very first definition of faith on dictionary.com is confidence or trust in a person or thing. That's the first definition. Confidence or trust in a person or thing. So it is right to say that whatever someone is confident about and trusts in is what they have faith in. Science, education, political theory, economic theory, God, a self-help guru, etc., for example, we all believe in gravity. We know how it works. We, we've experienced it. So we all agree that it is a bit concerning when a bowling ball hangs over our head by a string. Okay, we are a bit nervous to sit beneath the bowling ball hanging by a string because of our faith in gravity. This is belief or faith in the most basic and generic sense. Now, a person may be wrong, their confidence or trust may be misplaced, but everyone has faith. For our purposes in this series, we want to understand what it means to have saving faith in the gospel, which is different than faith in general. We'll get there in a bit. Next, not everyone who believes in the gospel is saved. Now, that might sound fishy, to you, but that is what I meant to say. Not everyone who believes in the gospel is saved. What do I mean? And I want to talk for a moment about ways of believing in the gospel that are different than the kind of saving belief mentioned in John 3.16. Let me explain. Some people know the gospel. They've heard it. They comprehend it. They can explain it they also believe it's true. They confess it, but that's as far as they go. 
They don't trust in the gospel for their own salvation. Their kind of belief is intellectual, but it is not experiential. Uh, Your sinus call it historical faith. James talks about it in James 2. He says, verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? It's like James was asking, can that species of dead faith save him? Uh, James says in verse 18, I will show you my faith. He's talking about true and saving faith by my works. James was contrasting two kinds of faith. True and saving faith is confirmed or we could say verified by good works. But a faith that does not produce any good works is dead and futile faith. And then James says these provocative words in verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Demons believe. And demons know Jesus. But demons do not have true and saving faith. They do not delight in God. They shudder. In John 8.30, after Jesus preached, it says that many believed in him. And that sounds great until you keep reading. In in the next verse, John 8.31, John recounts this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the following verses record this fascinating conversation between Jesus and Jews who had believed in him. Listen to some of the things that Jesus told these people who had believed in him. You seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. You are of your father the devil, The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. These people who had believed in Jesus accused him of being demon-possessed, and they picked up stones to throw at him. Isn't that interesting? See, their variety of belief was not saving faith. They knew some things to be true about Jesus, but they did not receive and trust in Jesus as their wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, and Messiah. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Your sinus mentioned another variety of faith, temporary faith, which includes a certain kind of excitement about the gospel. There's a kind of belief that knows, assents, professes, and even experiences joy over the gospel, but the joy is not true joy that arises from receiving Christ and his benefits, and the joy doesn't survive trials. The joy is caused by something other than the Holy Spirit and possessing Christ, so the joy is superficial and short-lived. When affliction comes, the belief and joy fade And we see this exact kind of belief in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. The rocky soil represents this kind of belief. The person hears the gospel and immediately receives the gospel with joy. But because 
this man has no root in himself. The gospel doesn't establish a, a deep and strong root system within his heart. He only endures for a little while and eventually he falls away. See, having, uh, see saving faith is represented in that parable by the good soil who hears and understands the word and does what? Bears much fruit. Temporary and inauthentic faith fails to bear fruit and in time fizzles out. When God gives true faith, God sustains true faith to the end. In Acts 8, a magician named Simon heard gospel preaching, believed in the gospel, and was baptized into the visible church. And then he tried to buy the Holy Spirit and his power so that he could be like the apostles. And Peter told Simon, your heart is not right before God. Peter urged Simon to repent and told him, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And I don't think Simon lost true faith or lost his salvation. I think if he didn't truly repent, and there's some fuzziness in the story, he had temporary or inauthentic faith. Folks, Scripture teaches that someone can believe and confess the truths of the gospel without believing and receiving Christ and the benefits of the gospel. To truly believe is to truly receive. True belief is intellectual and experiential. Now, why is this important? Well, the whole point of believing in the gospel is receiving Christ and his benefits. Receiving Christ and his benefits. And if one is satisfied to simply confess truth without receiving Christ and his benefits, they're missing the entire point of faith. Faith is gaining Christ. Faith is taking hold of Christ and his benefits. So when I urge you to believe and to trust in Christ, I'm urging you to receive Christ for your salvation, comfort, and eternal well-being. There is a way to confess the Apostles' Creed and not receive Christ and his benefits. Oh, that you and I would confess the Apostles' Creed with deep conviction, unwavering confidence, and enduring joy because we possess what we confess. Every truth of the Creed is precious. And central to your comfort, confidence, strength, and joy in Christ. So don't just confess it. Receive it and rejoice. So it's true to say that not everyone who believes in the gospel is saved. And yet it is also true to say everyone who truly believes in the gospel is saved. Now I'm talking about true and saving faith. I'm talking about a belief that receives and rests on Christ. When the Apostles' Creed begins, I believe, it's talking about saving faith, about trusting into God. J.I. Packer said, the Creed's opening words, I believe in God, render a Greek phrase coined by the writers of the New Testament, meaning literally, I am believing into God. That is to say, over and above believing certain truths about God, I am living in a relation of commitment to God in trust and union. Trust and union. In other words, true belief 
is not simply believing truths about God. It's more, it's trusting into God and experiencing true union and communion with God. This is why the scripture, uh, what the scripture means when it says things like whoever believes in, or we could say into him is not condemned. Or whoever believes in or into the son has eternal life. Or behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. The creed is talking about the kind of faith that Paul explains in Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. True belief always justifies, because true faith actually receives and rests on Christ. Faith is the spirit-wrought instrument by which you receive Christ and God's grace and favor. Faith is being grafted into Christ. In the Heidelberg's definition of true faith, it says, it is a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation out of mere grace, grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. Now that assumes receiving Christ and all his benefits. So to confess I believe is to confess I am confident that I have Christ and the forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation in him. The, the comfort, assurance and strength of true faith come in knowing you've received all that you confess in the gospel. Jesus established the point in John 3, 16 through 18. Listen to this. For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, that's talking about true faith or believing into Christ should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in, whoever believes into him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. I want you to understand what it means to believe. So I'm, I'm gonna say more. The second Helvetic Confession written by Heinrich Bullinger in 1562 says this, Christian faith is not an opinion or human conviction, but a most firm trust and a clear and steadfast assent of the mind and then a most certain apprehension of the truth of God presented in the scriptures and in the Apostles' Creed and thus also of God himself, the greatest good, and especially of God's promise and of Christ, who is the fulfillment of all promises. Now you gotta get those words. Firm trust. 
clear and steadfast assent of the mind, most certain apprehension of the truth. Friends, true belief is both intellectual and experiential. We know and confess what we receive in Christ. Here's another way to explain it. Westminster Larger Catechism 72 asks the question, what is justifying faith? Which is another way to ask, what does it mean to truly believe? What are are we saying here? And it says this, justifying faith is a saving grace. Grab a hold of that. Justifying faith is a saving grace wrought in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit and the Word of God, whereby he, being convinced of his sin and misery and of his own inability and the inability of all other creatures to rescue him from his lost condition, not only assents to the truth of the promise of the gospel, pay attention to this next part, but receives and rests on Christ and his righteousness held forth in that truth for pardon of sin and for the accepting and accounting of him as righteous in the sight of God for salvation. Understand now, to believe is a saving grace of God. To believe is to receive and to rest on Christ and his benefits given to you by God. Friends, this is why the New Testament says things like, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven so that we might receive adoption as sons. And then Philippians 3, 7 through 9, Paul gives these marvelous words. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Too many professing Christians make belief or faith into law into something they do to gain or to earn God's favor when belief or faith is all about receiving and resting on Christ whom God graciously gives. Oh, that we would understand faith as receiving and resting on Christ and his benefits graciously given to us by God. In college and seminary, folks, I needed fat books. I needed fat books. They made us buy fat books. I have a lot of fat books. Think about fat books. Some of you might break out into a sweat of thinking of fat books, but think about them. And think about reading fat books. There's a lot of knowledge in fat books. You can obtain that knowledge by studying fat books. Now think about life support. Your heart and lungs quit on you. Now you're on life support. You're being kept alive because your blood is being pumped out of your body by an ECMO machine that oxygenates your blood, removes carbon dioxide, and pumps the blood back into your body, giving your heart and lungs time to rest and heal. A machine is doing the work. 
Do you have a college textbook faith or a life support faith? True and saving faith is a life support faith. Lots of religious people have textbook faith. True believers have life support faith. God gives you Christ and his benefits through life support faith worked in you by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is your life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in or into me, though he die, yet shall he live. Scripture says the righteous shall live by faith. 1 John 5, 12 says whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's quite simple. True and saving faith is not simply confessing truths about God. It's receiving and resting on Christ who is your truth and life. To whom does Jesus give the right to become children of God? John 1, 12 and 13 answer, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, please get this last part, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We cannot think of faith in a way that exalts human will or works. We must think about it, if we're consistent with Scripture, in terms of God's sovereign grace and gift. True believers are born of God, the Scripture says, to receive and rest on Christ. To confess I believe is to confess God's grace received. To confess I believe is to begin upon the premise of God's marvelous grace given to you in Christ. We receive all that we confess in Christ because God graciously gives to us in Christ all that we confess. Which leads us to everyone who truly believes in the gospel receives God and the many benefits of the gospel. Think about forgiveness, justification, being free from enslavement to sin. They're, they're amazing gifts, right? Amazing. But they are gifts given so that you can receive the greatest gift of all, God himself. Now, I'll be officiating Drew Mumal and Lily Redkay's uh, wedding next Sunday. And in weddings, you often hear these words to have and to hold from this day forward. And it's interesting because marriage is a temporary illustration in this life of the gospel, of the gospel. The idea of true faith is being united in covenantal union to Christ to be had and held and to have and to hold. Through believing, you receive Christ and you have true communion with Christ. Relationship with God is the ultimate gift. Justification is a means to union and communion with God. The forgiveness of sins is a means to union and communion with God. The forgiveness of sins, uh, having God's wrath removed from you by Christ is a means to the end of reconciliation and restored fellowship with God himself. 
Article 22 of the Belgic Confession says this, and faith is the instrument that keeps us in communion with him and with all his benefits. Saints, belief is the instrument or tool God sovereignly uses to keep you in communion with Christ and all his benefits. By sustaining your belief or trust in him, God sustains your communion with him. By deepening your faith through his means, God deepens your communion with him through his means. Do you understand where I'm going here? I hope you do. I hope you're tracking this. Who's able to strengthen and sustain your faith? Why did the apostles say to Jesus, increase our faith? That tells you the answer. Why did the man pray, I believe, help my unbelief? That tells you the answer. Far too many professing Christians see faith as a work that they do without realizing that their perspective on that undermines their comfort and assurance in Christ and puts immense pressure on them. We need to understand how our belief is sustained and strengthened. Next, everyone who truly believes, believes because of the Holy Spirit. You believing in the gospel and receiving and resting on Christ is confirmation of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And when you believe that, guess what it does? It only fortifies your faith more and more. That he's working in you, sustaining you. If you believe that it's up to you to strengthen your belief, you will be very anxious, fearful, and weary, or you'll just trust yourself but you will depend on Christ when you realize and trust that you cannot strengthen your belief, but the Spirit can. Paul and his evangelistic team went to Philippi. And it was the Sabbath, and they, were, uh, they, they went down by the riverside, and a group of women assembled and listened uh, to, to listen to them teach the gospel, and Lydia was one of the women with them, and she heard the gospel. Very exciting scene, and Acts 16, verse 14 says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And then she and her household, her whole household, were baptized, marking their entrance into the visible church. Now, how did Lydia come to believe the gospel? It's quite clear the Lord opened her heart. The Lord gave her true and saving faith. This is what happened on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, 45. Then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. See, as Paul explained in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And I take Paul to mean no one truly understands and believes in the gospel unless the Holy Spirit gives them true faith. We're talking about life support faith. Life support faith. Listen, if you make your faith a work, just, just stay with me. If you make your faith a work, something that's on you, you, you gotta do it. 
What will you tell yourself when your faith is weak and ailing? What will you tell yourself to get things going? You'll give yourself a law-filled pep talk. Man, I really need to believe more. What's wrong with me? I I can do this. I, I can try harder to believe more. I can put more energy into this. I've been lazy recently, so I really got to kick it in. I I really need to bear down on my devotions this week. I really need to bear down on prayer this week. I mean, I got to gut this out. That's what you'll do because your belief is wrong about what faith is. And that message, that message of this law-filled pep talk is very different than the gospel. Don't turn to law expecting to receive what only the gospel can give. Turn to Christ. Depend on Christ. Receive the grace of Christ that he has for you in the gospel. Heidelberg 21 is profoundly helpful to you and me when our belief is weak. And it is wavering. And we're asking the question, am I even saved? It says this, true faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. At the same time, it is a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation out of mere grace only for the sake of Christ's merits. And please get this last line, it's important. This faith, the Holy Spirit works in my heart by the gospel. We we don't need to work harder. We need to receive the gospel. So, So when our belief is weak and our belief is wavering and we're asking the question whether we're actually saved, we ought to also ask a few other questions. How can I get more gospel? How can my knowledge of the gospel grow? How can I better understand what God has revealed to me in his word? How can I hear more about the forgiveness of my sins and Christ's righteousness imputed to me and the salvation that I have in Christ and the sufficiency of Christ's merits? To what should I turn expecting to receive God's grace promised me in the gospel? Where should I go? What should I turn to? And here's where the last point is so very important for you to understand. If you grab hold of this last point, you are going to understand how we intend to shepherd you, where our, what our church is about, what we're going to prioritize at our church. Like, like this last point is going to tell you so much about how we think at this church and why we make the decisions we do. So this is like huge. Please bear with me. I'll say it gently. To what should you turn expecting to receive God's grace promised you in the gospel? Where should you turn? What should you expect to give you what you need? I'm gonna answer it here. Please listen. You shouldn't turn to the chosen. You won't get gospel grace from a Christmas nativity scene. God does not dispense his grace to you through a stained glass image of Jesus or a walk in the woods 
or by fleecing him, or by reading a book about someone who allegedly went to heaven and returned to tell you all about the experience. God gives you more gospel through the divine, powerful, and sufficient means of his word and sacraments. The gospel preached and the gospel visualized and given to you in the sacraments are God's divine, powerful, and sufficient means to work faith in your heart and to sustain and to strengthen your communion with Christ. God has chosen to give you himself through the living preaching of the word and through the sacraments in which you receive grace from God and you actually commune with Christ himself. Idolatry is not simply bowing down before a golden statue. It's way broader than that. It is also turning to powerless things, expecting them to give you gospel comfort and assurance and strength when they can't. They're dead and empty. What is alive? What is powerful? Where will we get Christ? Lastly, God deepens your true belief in the gospel by his gracious, powerful, and sufficient means. Romans 10, 14, and 17 are quite simple and profound. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? You know, that's real. We know people who don't believe. We know nations that there aren't many Christians there. And how on earth are they going to call on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved if if they're not believing in Christ? And, And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard, not seen, heard? They need to hear. And how are they to hear without someone preaching, not making artwork? So faith comes from hearing, he says, not seeing. He says faith comes from hearing and hearing through what? The word of Christ. Why does God give preaching to his people? And what does God do through preaching the preaching that he gives his people? What is God doing now? What's this dynamic of this preaching thing? I have nothing good to say. I'm here to say what God said. So what is God doing here? Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 1.21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, It pleased God, let that land, like this is what pleases the heart of God. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Now hear me, God's normal way of bringing someone to faith in Christ is through preaching. That's how he promised to do it. Ephesians 4.11 says that God gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why did God give all these people with a lot of words to tell us things? Why? To build up the body of Christ, to create in the church the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That's what Paul says. And the sacraments are means that God uses to strengthen our belief in the gospel and to actually give us Christ. That's why the sacraments are so vital to the the Christian life. You know, many in the church today just couldn't give a hoot about the sacraments' ongoing role in their Christian life. 
Churches don't prioritize the sacraments. That's very strange. Very strange. Why, what, what did circumcision signify and seal? The gospel. What, what did the Passover signify and seal? The gospel. What do baptism and the Lord's Supper signify and seal? The gospel. The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals given to the church throughout the ages for their comfort. Because in them, Christ is promised. In the sacraments, Christ is promised and present to be received and enjoyed by true faith. That's how you get the promises of the gospel. You believe it, and you receive it, and you rest on it. Now, you should also check out Westminster Confession of Faith 14.1, but here's Heidelberg 65, which fits beautifully and powerfully into this sermon, into what I'm trying to say. It explains how we receive and rest on Christ, which is the whole point. Even the question, you know, sometimes questions make statements. Even the question of Heidelberg 65 makes a glorious gospel statement. Here it is. Since then, faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. If you're going to receive Christ and rest on Christ and his benefits alone, if Christ is going to be sufficient for you, you need the gospel. And you need the gospel given you through God's powerful and sufficient means of grace. Now, you need, folks, life is hard, right? Living the Christian life is hard. I'm really struggling. What about you? Okay, so you need to be absolutely sure that what you turn to for comfort, assurance, and strength will actually give you Christ. Because then you'll be chasing all these things that won't give you Christ, won't give you comfort, won't give you assurance, won't give you strength to take the next step to follow Christ. So you need to be absolutely sure you're right about this. Where are you going to get Christ? When your faith is weak and prone to waver. Let me tell you what you need. On the authority of the word of God, you need the gospel. And you will get the gospel through faithful preaching and the faithful administration of the sacraments. These are the means that God promises to use to create faith and that will also sustain and strengthen faith in you. How foolish it would be to confess, I believe, and then neglect God's means of grace that he gives to sustain and strengthen your faith. How foolish would that be? That would make absolutely no sense. So, Brothers and sisters, what does it mean to believe? To truly believe in the gospel is to know the gospel, assent to the gospel, and trust in the gospel to the salvation, growth, and comfort of your soul. And I think one of the best ways to show our true belief in the gospel is actually by trusting God to give us Christ through his means of grace. I think the level of our confidence in God's means of grace reflects the level of our confidence 
in God to give us grace in Christ. I think there's a relationship there. There's a connection. If we can truly say, I mean, with conviction, when we state the creed here, if we can say, I believe, we ought to believe that God will give us grace according to his ordained means of grace. That God will give us all that is promised in the Apostles' Creed by grace, by giving us Christ through his means of giving us, dispensing to us the gospel. Be, be clear as I draw it to an end. This series is not aimed at knowing about God. This series is aimed at you knowing and communing with God. And unto that end, we persevere and we endure through a seven-year series. No, I'm kidding. Not a seven-year. 